TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Bike Nerds Podcast, episode 16. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Miss Sarah, have you been listening to any books lately? I have. I listened to an oldie but a goodie, To Kill a Mockingbird by Hmm. Harper Lee, and Sissy Spacek is the narrator. Wow. Which was pretty cool. Yeah. That sounds like a like a true like reliving of your childhood. Yeah, I would have never it like came up. You know, it's like one of the samples you can it like comes up on the homepage, and I was like, yeah. hell yeah, I'll listen to this. Wow, love sissy, and the book <laughs> is fantastic as yeah, well. It is. Yeah, it so is. yeah, it was good, and it's nice to know that Audible dot com has like classics. Yeah, n- not just new stuff, but stuff exactly. that you stuff that you uh, listened to uh, a long time ago. Yeah, and you didn't even listen to it. So if you like read in like AP English. Oh, uh, I always got somebody to read it to me. Oh, you're <laughs> smarter than I've me. Been, I've been listening to books for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash OAM. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash OAM. Sarah, you are getting ready to head out of the country. I am. I have an exciting next two weeks planned. I, on Wednesday, leave for the Better Bike Share Conference in Philadelphia. And I'm super excited about getting to be just like nerd out on bike share and equity and accessibility. And then I'm going to Venice, variety of places in Croatia, Sarajevo, Bosnia with friends. Biking? Biking, doing a bike, some you know, a lot of bike and wine tours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe a little like gondola action in Venice. Lot of lot of gondolas, a lot of water taxi, <laughs> taxis in Venice. Yeah, you know, yeah. like all the cool like movies like happen in Venice, and there's yeah. always like a building that sinks, right? Like exactly. Like, no, I was telling someone, and they're like, "Oh, it's so good you're going because it, it won't be here for long." <laughs> I was like, you may be right. I didn't actually think about that sort of like apocalyptic version of Venice sinking. But yeah, I think maybe like one of the more recent James Bond movies um, had like an action sequence in Venice and like a building came down and, you know, an oldie but goodie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade uh, also takes place in Venice and they wind up underneath the city uh, looking for uh, the tomb of one of the Knight Templars. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. I think I'm going to make sure to rent bikes in Venice. And it looks like they have some sort of bike share program as well. And then our bike tour and vineyard tours in Dubrovnik. So we like leave on bike from Dubrovnik and end up somewhere, you know, 25 miles out and get to bike through a few vineyards. You should see if there's like a, a tomb tour, like where you go underneath the city and like, you know go through like tunnels i think there may i know that there's um i'm chartering like a jet boat one day doing like (laughs) caves and like crazy like not quite spelunking but almost through like caves yes off of like islands in croatia that sounds amazing and we're staying at a in one of the places this is the last thing i'll say because i feel like i'm going to become obnoxious at some point about the trip because i'm really excited about it yeah we're staying at a botel a botel is a hotel that's a boat, like on the harbor or whatever it's called, in Split, Croatia. But it's wow. called a hotel, and I just think that's genius. Wow, that that sounds like a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, cool. What's going on in your world? Oh man, you know we've just been uh, sort of settling down in in Colorado. We went on a big uh, family bike ride to Target yesterday. How exciting! Yeah, so we loaded up the kids in the cargo bike, and Carrie rode her bike uh, independently. And, we rode to Target and did How some shopping. How much stuff did you guys buy? We got a lot of stuff. Like we filled up half the cargo bike. 
it was it wasn't like super heavy stuff. It was things like paper towels and you know yeah. like you know, other sorts of things that are just kind of large and bulky, but uh, they all fit in in the cargo bike with both kids and. Uh, we went did there and Did you feel like this is like why I'm in Boulder? Like this, like, was it like a, did it feel special? Uh, it was pretty fun. I mean, there was definitely like some hills, right? So I was like, oh yeah, we're in Boulder. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, as the kids were like sort of screaming at me to, uh, to go faster, um, but it was impossible to go faster. Um, but yeah, it was cool. Carrie, Carrie, what, here's what Carrie said. She said, it's really nice that there's all these trails that you don't have to like ride on the road. Uh, this, oh, and then she was like, oh, you know, it's really nice that all these trails go like underneath the road. So you don't have to wait at the stoplight and, and sort of try to cross the street. So, you know, she sort of noted kind of as a novice, uh, person that rides a bicycle, you know, sort of like the added level of comfort that, uh, the infrastructure here provides. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. So episode 16 here, we've got a a good guest, uh, Anna Ray, who we met, uh, uh, I think, via email through somebody else. But Anna works for Capital Bike Share in D.C. Yes, I hope actually now that I think about it, that I get to meet her this week at the Better Bike Share conference. Yeah, I think it, I think I remember her saying that she was going to be there. She was really delightful and had a lot of really good things to say, you know, particularly about sort of how, you know, working in a space in DC, uh, is challenging and exciting at the same time. Uh, sort of, you know, her story about, you know, getting into bicycling and bicycling around is, is actually really, that was really one of my favorite stories. Yeah, I agree. So should we do this? Should yeah, we hit let's, it? Let's do it. All right. Anna, thank you for joining us today. How is DC these days? Today, we finally have a sunny day after, I think we're at 16 or 17 days of rain. Oh my God, are you okay? Um, barely. That is, I'm wor- so sorry. Wow. Yeah, it, someone called it torrential fog and mist. So you not only are using your Sunday to talk with us, but you're talking to us on the first sunny day. In your lifetime, really. I mean, 16 and 17 <laughs> days is such a long time. It is. I, I find it that it's definitely coincided with the passing of a musical great, with the passing True. of Prince. Mm. So. Mm, that's deep. Mm. You know, I was in D.C. just a few weeks ago, Anna, and it was beautiful. Maybe maybe I should just visit more often. Maybe the weather follows that me. That might be the clue. <laughs> so are you originally from D.C.? No, I'm actually originally from Minnesota. Oh, I can tell now. I can hear it in the Minnesota. Do, do you hear it yeah. there? <laughs> I've been here a long time, but uh, the accent still stays. Yeah. Yankee accents have a tendency to do that. Is there a little a little bit, a little more mourning uh, for the Great Prince uh, because of your affiliation with Minnesota? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I just told this story earlier today um, because I was I was playing music with some friends this morning and we were just I, I told this story because I, I messed up a song while we were playing. And I said, you know what Prince said to do when you make a mistake while you're playing music, you just do it again. You you make the same mistake twice. And then people think they realize that you're that you thought they think you did it on purpose. And that and that led us down like another talk where, you know, back in the day when I was playing music and like touring the country, uh, my band at one point played at Prince's Club in Minneapolis. No way. Yeah, and we when we did yeah yeah, and so we played we played in this room because there's multiple like there's multiple venues in this club. Mm -hmm. We played in this room called the Ascot Room. And okay. it had like this tree, like this fake tree, like growing up through the middle of it. And then its leaves sort of turned into the night sky and they were like Christmas lights. So the whole what? ceiling was covered in these like white Christmas lights. And it was set up to look like an outdoor like park uh, setting. So there were like fences and benches and like this fountain. And it was like the embodiment of, of print sort of like in a, in a physical space. <laughs> Oh my god! I love yeah. it. Yeah, that, that's as close as I ever got. That's pretty close. Yeah. That's a good story. <laughs> Dang, Kyle. Wow. Uh, Anna, do you play any musical instruments? I used to play violin. Oh. And I haven't played in many years, so hopefully I'll pick it up in some spare time in my future. Yeah. Were, were you playing just like sort of 
for fun or was that as a part of like an organized uh, like school band or something? It was part of an organized school band, school orchestra. Yeah. Yeah. How and and how long did you play play into? Like what grade? For, uh, eighth grade. Okay. That's I think that's as far as I went with school band as well. Yeah. Right, because after, like after that, because after that, yeah, after that, it's a, it's a serious commitment. You've made a commitment that. if you're doing yeah. it in high school. <laughs> yeah. It's a different path. Yeah. Uh, I think I played the I played the clarinet. I think we talked about that yeah. on a previous podcast, but I played the clarinet a in, mid- reed in middle middle school band. I did trombone. <laughs> I think we should well, just see, yeah. Go ahead. I, I actually started playing in orchestra because you could start orchestra in fourth grade. You had to wait until fifth grade to start band. Wow. So of course, if you're trying to add some, you know, things as a youth, you you go for the, you know, okay, this is the first thing I can do. All right, let's get in there for summer. Wow, what an overachieving fourth grader. That was not <laughs> on my radar in fourth right? grade. I was like, how can I actually avoid all of this? I'm going to call in sick every day. <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to do orchestra. I'm impressed. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. Do you do you still own the violin that you played? No, my mom gave it to one of my cousins so they could start playing. Nice. Yeah, that seems like a responsible thing yeah. to do. Hopefully yeah. they're playing a Prince cover on it right now. I, I would hope so. <laughs> what uh, What brought you to D.C., Anna? I came here to attend Howard University. Very nice. Very and cool. actually had been given a, a scholarship and had never been to D.C. and accepted just because I knew I needed to to be wherever they were willing to give me a full ride. Yeah. Oh, wow. What was that like <laughs> to kind of land in D.C. and go to the, a new school without kind of totally sight unseen? Um, it was nerve wracking, to say the least. It's definitely... Um, a completely different culture. I grew up in the suburbs um, and the dorm I stayed in, which uh, the university recently sold is on 16th street and Euclid, which is kind of the, the heart of Northwest right off U street and always busy. And of course, you know, you arrive for freshman year in the heat of the summer. And so no air conditioning on yet for freshman move in and all of the sirens and everything going on. It was, it was really hectic, but I ended up loving it. And I really enjoyed living in DC now. And so what's the work that you do now in DC? So now I am the community outreach coordinator for Capital Bike Share. Wow, and it's pretty new, right? You haven't always done that. No, it's actually a newly created position. And prior to that, um, I worked in retail, and I've been teaching uh, cycling classes with the Washington Area Bicycling Association for two years now. Wow, that's great! So How did you get into teaching cycling classes? <laughs> so, <laughs> I um, I've actually been it, you know involved in a lot of organizations because I've been in this area for a while now and I was formerly with a marathon training program as a volunteer manager and and team leader and one of the coaches she's like an all-around amazing athlete and you know, super fast runner and cyclist. And she said, Oh, well, Anna, you're going to get married soon. You should start teaching. It's a great way to pick up some money. (laughs) 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 Like, okay. I never imagined cycling classes as a side hustle, but okay. (laughs) And she was right. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So had you been, you know, riding bikes and was that kind of a part of your lifestyle before you were really like a new bike instructor? I was a new bike instructor and it was interesting to me because I grew up in Minnesota and for most people who live in, you know, the Midwest, we learn how to ride a bike when we're young and it's not a big deal. And um, then really didn't cycle at all in DC because there's Metro and there's other ways to get around and, um, and not really seeing it as like this super necessary thing that I had to do every day. Um, and then realize that, hey, I could like bike around town and it actually was a lot quicker to, to bike certain places than to wait on Metro. And, you know, as Metro increases its 
uh, time frame of when it's offline, um, <laughs> realizing like, oh, this is really good. I'm glad I'm, you know, building up these skills and and then seeing that as like, okay, this is something I need to up my skills and I enjoy teaching. So it was a really good fit. Are you teaching mostly youths or adults or? Oh, exclusively adults. Besides, I, I teach some classes um, on the side, but with WABA, it's all, all adults. Did so you go through around. like a similar, well, you grew up biking. So is it kind of exciting to be able to share kind of that really fun experience with your peers? Because a lot of adults, it's still kind of amazing to me that you can be an adult, not know how to ride your bike. I mean, I know it happens every day. Yeah. Um, in this area, it's it's interesting. I actually just taught a learn to ride class this morning. And the, the range of people who um, didn't learn to ride. So not just people who are like, oh, I haven't ridden in 20 years. And right. so I feel rough. like some people who culturally never learned to ride because uh, riding a bike was viewed as something that only men did mm-hmm. or boys. And so that was something that they just never were taught because it wasn't viewed as something for them. Um, we had a, a, quite a few people who came from other countries where cycles, bicycles were just not available for people to learn how to ride. And so they didn't learn then. Um, and then quite a few people who grew up um, with a military background. And because the frequency of the moving around didn't lend to having a whole lot of possessions like bikes, they didn't learn there. So. Interesting. And yeah, how are people find? How are people finding those classes? Was it through? Uh, they're they're publicized on the internet through through Waba and and uh, pretty much any time you look for biking in DC, it will come up. And why were these these folks deciding that this was the time that they wanted to take a bike riding class? Well, some of them had kids who were now <laughs> learning to ride, and they're like, I don't want to get left behind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my two-year-old is fearless and, yeah. you know, totally balancing on their, you know, little trike, and now I'm ready to, you know, catch up with them and make sure that I can ride with them. Um, at there was a, a young woman who had just moved to this area like five months ago and her new circle of friends all ride bikes. And so she's like, well, you know, I want to come too. And they're like, yeah, grab a bike and let's go. <laughs> and she's like, ah, uh, can we walk? And they're yeah. like, Is there another <laughs> one? <laughs> so, I mean, I think the, the peer pressure is one, yeah. <laughs> one aspect, but then also, I mean, the situation with, um, the metro system needing to take time offline to rebuild. And I mean, just a lot of people finding that they'd rather live in uh, a closer um, part of the city to everything. And just having a bike is easier than trying to find parking or pay for parking. The, the meters are going up. I mean, there's a lot of things that are changing that are giving people the opportunity to really think about how they get around and reevaluate if that's the best thing for them to move forward. That, that reminds me of a, a little story. And we, we actually have a, Sarah and I have a mutual friend here in Memphis who joined us on a, a bicycle study tour um, to the Netherlands last fall. And we, we invited her because she's a really strong community leader and she represents sort of a, a neighborhood that's undergoing a really in, interesting sort of neighborhood transformation where the residents are, have created their own neighborhood plan and they're working towards, you know, making improvements that are, that are really sort of close to the desires of the community because they're the ones creating the plan. And so we asked her to come because there's several elements of that plan that actually involves bicycles and bicycle trails. And we wanted her to sort of you know, have the experience of sort of seeing what sort of like a massive bicycling culture looks like sort of in in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And so we invited her on this trip and we're going through, you know, months and months of preparation. We're buying plane tickets and we're getting passports sorted out. And we get like one month away from the trip. And I learn in like, as like a sidebar conversation (laughs) that she doesn't know how to ride a bike. You know, she's a, a you know she, she, yeah she's you know she's a 40 year old black woman who's lived in memphis all of her life 
And Mm -hmm. she tells us, you know, sort of after the fact, just to what you sort of said earlier, is that her experience as a child was that she would come home uh, from school and that she was responsible for cooking dinner for the family. So while her brothers and cousins and uncles were outside, you know, having fun and goofing around and learning how to ride bikes, it was never a part of her life. It never became something that she actually ever actually did. And, you know, that's, that's, that's a really you know, sort of a very interesting and very sort of poignant thing in thinking about sort of, you know, even if you think about sort of the normalcy of childhood, that that doesn't even really carry across um, yeah. sort of every circumstance. And, you know, so and now at the age of 40, uh, she learned how to ride a bike before we went to the Netherlands. And then she rode every single day that we were there. And like an uh, all star, she was she was a true all star. I think she on owns two bikes now, so she's like drank the Kool Aid <laughs> and and rides her bike and and she learned how to ride a bike in three minutes. <laughs> it, awesome. I yeah. mean, they can totally change your life, literally. Yeah. <laughs> like. yeah, yeah. What's what's your experience teaching teaching the adults how to how to ride a bicycle? I, I've you know I ran a community bike shop for a long time, and we did several you know learn how to ride. Uh, bike workshops with both adults and kids i always i always found that the kids uh got it a lot faster than the adults mm-hmm. i i would completely agree i mean the kids they don't have the the negative outcomes um already in their mind they don't have like okay I, i'm gonna break something i will fall i will you know whatever the terrible you know very very bad thing that could possibly happen yeah. already in their mind kids are like i'm gonna like succeed at this and i'm gonna be amazing and i'm just gonna fly up and down the street and like be untouchable and the adults are like oh, well, I am too old for this, or I'm too overweight, or I'm too whatever it is that they've already had this like negative self-talk for years, or they've had other people tell them that. And so um, I think like kids are at the advantage of not having that um, bad experience or, or put upon them even. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all the kind of barriers that you acquire throughout your life that are now in your head that can create fear it's a lot you've got a lot to deal with as an adult it's amazing we walk out our front doors every day (laughs) (laughs) like those dc sirens i was just hearing exactly (laughs) i mean any any moment you could go (laughs) and i do think there's you know peer pressure the other way i think there is this fear that like you're gonna do it wrong i mean i know when i started biking as like a way to like commute and kind of get places from point a to point b i was i I'm a fairly confident individual and was scared that I still was going to do something that would make me look stupid. And that was kind of scary, too. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that adults think about that kids just do not even enter their mind of of the possibilities of the situation that um, I think that for the adults who have the easiest time, it's literally all about their attitude. Mm-hmm. Like they come in like today is the day I'm going to learn and they're ready and they're open and they want to, you know, he- help me help myself attitude. And like, how can I do this better? The people who have the hardest time are like, there's no way I'm going to learn today, but I still showed up because X, Y, Z. Right. Right. Do you have any students that are like total success stories that are now, I don't know. Like just like rock starring bike culture out. <laughs> um, I I haven't stayed in contact with enough. I think to have like that exact like one to one comparison, but we've definitely had people who have come to a learn to ride one month, and the next month they're at a city cycling class learning because they want to now start commuting to work. Very cool. So yeah. That's pretty impressive. I yeah, mean, absolutely. That's a short power. amount of time too to create kind of that change. And so, yeah, I, I was just thinking about sort of like the fearlessness that kids exhibit. And I, I can remember as a kid, the only thing I wanted to do on my bike was just jump stuff. Like we, we would build like the shoddiest ramps <laughs> and like ride our bikes off of yeah. it, n- never thinking that the ramp was going to fall to pieces as soon as we touched it, which it often did. <laughs> um, but this this past week, I was I, I was actually in Colorado and I went mountain biking with uh, with a friend with a friend, a couple and and their children, 
and uh, and I was like riding behind the kids, mostly because I, d- I wanted an excuse for why I was going so slow. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was mountain biking on an actual mountain. It, yeah. there, was, there were rocks involved. You're so responsible, <laughs> Kyle. You're like, I've got the kids, guys. Yeah, that's, that's exactly, that, was the, that was the story I told. But I was, as I was, like, I was like sort of following them, as you do sort of in mountain biking, you sort of follow the person that's in front of you. And as I was as I was following them, they were like taking these like lines on their trail that were like going over like every single rock and boulder <laughs> yeah. and twig. And I was like, pretty soon, I was like, why am I doing this? Yeah. Like, this is actually more dangerous <laughs> than if I just went by myself. Yeah, why am I following these crazy kids? Yeah, like these crazy ten and eleven year old kids. Yeah. Uh, so I stopped doing that after a little bit. But yeah, yeah kids are kids are fearless. That and that's that was my experience too with teaching kids to ride. Is that you didn't have to they, – they just did not worry about whether or not they were going to fall over. They just sort of did it, and there were no expectations for what, what the bad thing might happen. Anna, do, do you think there's a correlation between sort of your your teaching classes of people how to ride and your work at Bike Share where, you know, largely sort of, you know, a bike a public Bike Share system sort of assumes that people know how to ride, right? So we assume that people know how to ride to a limited degree Mm -hmm. but even with bike share we have the resources pointing to waba so that if someone doesn't feel completely confident to be able to take a class and we actually waive the bike share fees while they're taking the class wow that's great yeah it seems like that seems like a necessity right so they're able to take the class are they using the bike share bikes Mm -hmm. oh great yep yeah, it um, seems like it seems like if you want to have a customer base for your bike share yeah. system, you should be invested in teaching people how to use bicycles. <laughs> right. And and actually in DC they've taken all of the second graders will learn how to ride a bike. Oh wow. It's a an a citywide initiative. Really? That's amazing. I mean, I think Kyle and I are both speechless. <laughs> That's like really cool. Yeah. How long? How long is that program going on? I think this is the second year. I believe it's it's either the second or fourth grade, one of the two. But it's okay. all of the kids in the whole whole city. Wow! And so, like, so like during like PE class, they get a they get like a bike instruction. Yep. Wow, that seems that seems like the simplest and easiest thing that school systems could do. Yeah. But I also, having worked with school systems, know they probably worked on getting that together for 20 years. <laughs> Someone is really excited that it's there. Who's, yeah. who's built the, who built the plan, like, when they got out of grad school. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how long it took to, to implement. But when I think about what the future of bicycling in D.C. will look like by that this happening now, I mean, can you imagine having this whole cadre of children who are now adults who are like, yeah, of course, cycling, duh. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And have not only – and then have grown up in a city that has a variety of kind of access points to ride a bike, whether it's a bike share or a community group. Yeah, I can't – that's a strong future. Yeah, Anna, do you think – do you think do you think capital bike share and sort of its its presence because right you can't go to DC and not see a red bicycle being ridden by somebody around town do you think that's adding some normalcy to bicycling in DC Absolutely I think because it's so bright and noticeable <laughs> that it's it's bringing an awareness and a level of awareness that hasn't been here. I mean, when you talk to someone who's a native Washingtonian and they'll say, oh yeah, we, you know, have bicycled around DC for ages and, you know, in the seventies and the sixties. And, um, even from my alma mater, I I met a woman who was part of the bicycling club back in the seventies, but it was something that was seen as very recreational. And so to see people all, you know, three-piece suit or um, pencil skirt and heels on a bike share bike headed to work or headed home or headed to happy hour, I mean, it definitely brings people to uh, a sense of feeling like, okay, this is, this is how you can use a bicycle in the city. What other sort of outreach programming does Capital Bike Share do within the city? 
So in my outreach, it's it's really specifically focused on Ward 7 and 8, which is the area east of the Anacostia River. Uh, well, except for a small portion of uh, Ward 7, but, um, and, and also really in any um, minority or underserved communities. So Bike Share has done a really good job. Capital Bike Share in DC has done a really good job of like people who see it and they see someone who looks like them and saying, okay, that's for me in areas like Columbia Heights or Petworth or Logan Circle or DuPont Circle. But in areas that are black and brown, people haven't really seen a lot of folks who look like them using the system. And so when you don't see someone who looks like you using something, you don't really feel like it's for you. So we've looked at the marketing and advertising. We're looking at um, how we are engaged with the community in new station placement. Mm -hmm. So um, we have different uh, things on the horizon where we're more involved in uh, community uh, programs like block parties and health and wellness fairs and community days. Like last weekend, I was at the Congress Heights Day event with a bike share bike and and maps and, and everything. And t- later on today, I'll be at a Women on Wheels event to talk about um, bike share as well. So having that person in the community to say, hey, Anna, how does this work? You look like me. How does your Afro fit underneath a helmet? Right, right. Where do I find, <laughs> where do I find some, you know, something comfortable or shoes or, you know, answering those questions. Sometimes just even to say, hey, this is how you raise and lower the seat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because it, if you don't have your own bike, you might not know yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and I wonder, how, you know, how do you approach that kind of outreach work from an organization that's been like pretty well established in, like, as you sort of say, like in certain markets, right? Bike share is being sort of used really heavily um, in some neighborhoods and, and a lot less in others. And does it feel like you're ever sort of like playing catch up in some ways because it's it's sort of coming after the fact? Versus like like if you were on the ground, if you were working for Capital Bike Share on day one. Uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, and you were launching the system, you know, how, how do you approach that a little bit uh, sort of differently in your outreach? So I, I think that when you look at other bike share systems like Philadelphia, I mean, from day one, they said, all right, how do we make sure everyone has access to this? But they also started with like, okay, it's worked other places before it. And, and Capital Bike Share was in being, you know, one of the first largest widespread, um, I don't know that it was, uh, it's hard to know how people will use it and how successful it will be. Right. Mm -hmm. Like when it, when you have something new. And so now, um, to say that I'm playing catch up is, is very accurate Mm -hmm. because people feel like bike share isn't not, it's not just, it's not just not for me. It's also an indication of gentrification of my neighborhood. Right. And so this is not something I want to try. It's also something I don't want to round me um, and trying to change that and saying, no, this is positive. Um, this is something that is for you and not just for you, but it'll also help you get places quicker, make you feel better while you're getting there, (laughs) you know, like all of the benefits of a, you know, recreational bike ride. And also you can commute with it too. Um, It's, it's a challenge, but I think it's not an insurmountable one by any means. Um, even from two months ago, from my first community meetings, which um, I don't know if you're familiar with the structure of D.C. government, but we have the mayor and we have council members, and then each of the council members is in charge of a ward. Well, each ward is broken down into uh, neighborhood advisory commissions or and and ANC and then even those are broken down into smaller single member districts and actually talking to these very locally represented officials to say hey like 
this is something that not only should you advocate for, it's also something that you want to use too. Mm -hmm. And having, you know, those meetings two months ago and then going back to the next month and saying, oh, Anna, do you have any more bike maps? Or, hey, so who do we talk to to get more bike um, lanes in our ANC? Or how do we uh, get this or that or, you know, the things that people in different parts of D.C. have been doing for the past five years now? Yeah, I think that's a great kind of your position you know, as kind of being this connection to this large thing called Capital Bike Share and kind of, I think, probably really represents to, to neighborhoods that, that Bike Share is transit. I mean, I think that's a great point that it isn't just for a certain subset of people. This is a public service um, that everyone should have access to and, and know how to use and know how to, you know, have it fit into their life. Yeah. So Anna, are you doing, are you, maybe you're doing all of these things, but are you, are you through your position, you know, are you mostly focused on trying to build neighborhood support for people to use and advocate for, you know, new bike share stations in their neighborhood or, or, and do you uh, sort of go into neighborhoods and just sort of promote access to the existing bike share system? So it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. So um, DC has most recently launched a bike share expansion plan that can be found online mm-hmm. um, through the um, DDOT website. And through that, we've identified, we <laughs> have identified um, all of these new stations and placements for the next three years. And so there's already a plan in place, but those areas that have been identified haven't been identified to the street corner. So part of my outreach in in these neighborhoods is, okay, where does it make sense in this area? Like we already know it makes sense for us logistically to, for people to get from um, Minnesota Avenue Metro to Benning Road Metro to Fort DuPont Park to Good Hope Road. Um, but in there, is it at T and 18th or is it 16th and T? And talking to the community to say, where is that right place in the neighborhood for this? And then also to say, okay, you have one here, but it doesn't seem like a lot of people use it. Is it because um, there no one has shown them how to use it or you don't know where you can go with it? or what you can do with it, um, and, and doing that kind of usage outreach as well. And for neighborhoods, you know, Ward 7 and 8 that you're in, kind of what is, was their immediate reaction to having a representative from Capital Bike Share? What were their kind of general outlook on Bike Share? Was it a positive thing for the city, or did they see it kind of as you had mentioned earlier, that it wasn't for them? I mean, how does that conversation happen with someone that, you know, yes, there currently aren't stations in your neighborhood, but now there will be stations in your neighborhood. Is there, what's the kind of pushback to that? Um, <laughs> so it, the, I think the pushback in general is a pushback of, well, no one told us about this. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that ANC commissioner who got a letter three months ago saying a station is coming, they don't check that email. And so they haven't brought it to their constituents to say, hey, this is what's coming, this is how you use it, or let's figure out what's going on with it. There's a lot of onus on um, Capital Bike Share and, and the people who work with it to say, okay, this is this is how to engage the system and, and the community. And so there hasn't been any specific uh one right way or wrong way that people have kind of approached it. I think in the media, it's been presented as, um, as one thing, but in talking to people one-on-one and, and part of it is that I'm from the community. Right. Um, (laughs) I haven't had that same experience. The, the, the media approach primarily has been people black and brown people don't want or like bikes or bike share and my one-on-one conversations have been so how do I use this Anna and oh that's great and 
fantastic. I'm going to try it. Yeah, the, 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 you're, I think you're right. Yeah. That, that mirrors, you know, sort of my experiences mm-hmm. of working with the city and working in communities. This gets something to what I think what something you said, Anna, sort of as community outreach as a verb, not a task. Mm-hmm. I think I think that mm-hmm. I, lo- I love yeah. I love that, and I I'd love to talk with you more about that. I I I actually find that you know I, I've been trained as sort of like a city planner, and I spend a lot of time talking about bikes. But I actually find probably the most interesting um, sort of things that are happening on the ground in cities are directly related to community outreach because it's I think it's the task around the world right that nobody's doing a great job of. Um, and so I'd love, I'd love to hear from you, Anna, sort of, you know, how do you, how are you sort of, you know, sort of proactively, you know, sort of accomplishing community outreach, you know, are there, are there any kind of strategies that you think are, um, that you think are sort of working really well in the communities you're working in? So I think the things that work really well is actually working in the community (laughs) and not, and not talking talking at the community or saying, "Well, we posted a sign. Well, we well we checked this box. <laughs> we did this thing, yeah. and that was on my list of things to do before this whatever needed to happen." It, it's actually engaging the community and showing up, not just when you're done, but when you're planning and and saying, "Hey, this is what's coming. Hey, what do you think? Hey." what do you know about what's going on here? Um, and, and having a conversation and not just having, uh, a plan already in place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think with any, any city planning, I'm sure with really any business, you don't just show up with your Starbucks on the corner. You talk to the community and say, okay, you know, who, how much money is here? How much mm-hmm. money would people like to spend on a cup of coffee? Okay, if they don't want to spend more than a dollar, well, that's probably not the right place for it. <laughs> right. Will, will the Starbucks on the opposite corner get mad if we put a new Starbucks here? Yes. There, there, <laughs> there's, there's a lot more into it than just um, showing up with a station and saying, well, I don't know why people don't use it. Yeah. It's like, well, did you talk to anyone? Like, not just the you know the council member not just the ANC commissioner but the person whose house it's in front of mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly Did yeah anyone knock on their door and say hey miss smith you know bike share is here we would love to be placed in front of your house yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> or I, did I, you just take up her parking space that she used to have her <laughs> grandchildren come yeah here? exactly yeah yeah I, I i would i would add this question to sort of the the list that you just made but here's here's what you said you wanted at the last meeting and here's how we mm-hmm. modified everything to fit <laughs> what you wanted right yes. i i think i think oh when you, you go into a process and it and it looks like things are already done you provide a lot of feedback your neighbors are there they're providing feedback and then a month later, you sort of see a final plan, and none of your feedback was actually sort of incorporated into what was going on. I think I think that's a big place where cities miss the boat in a lot of ways in, in their community outreach efforts because they're not really community outreach efforts. Anna, like you said, they're they're checking boxes right on what's the what's the prerequisite for getting this thing moved forward. What's the minimum we need to do to say we engage the community? Yeah, and- instead of saying what's the best possible place for people to use this Mm -hmm. and does that work for what our parameters are and like okay let's find that good middle ground of course not every person on a block is going to love bike share because maybe they don't know how to ride themselves Mm -hmm. right (laughs) but um you know if you don't engage anyone and then you're surprised when they're you know advocating against it it should be no surprise right (laughs) Yeah, I, and I would, I've I've had people ask me about this before, and so this is why I can say because all right, so you've got community outreach as a verb, not a task. Kyle Wagenschutz is is public notification is not public 
participation. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Another good so, one. See, Look we're, at that. We're, I think this this whole group, this whole podcast, we could just create some yeah. taglines for See, I really outreach. like the word. And all these words get overused, but I think over community outreach does feel kind of like you're pushing stuff out to a community. I think using more words around like engagement and kind of words that are like around building authentic relationships when we talk about, you know, the work we're trying to do in communities is important. And I think, Anna, to your point, Having folks who are doing the, this community outreach reflect the neighborhood that they're working in, I think, is really important. Like, maybe the most important piece. Anna, can I ask you a tough question? Let's do hard questions. And I just want to apologize because I, I feel like I, this is a kind of question I should prep you for before you come on a podcast. But uh, do you think it's possible to develop a, a unique community outreach process that can be replicated in multiple cities across the country? Or are those processes so unique to communities? Should they be so tailored to the people that are living there that there's not there's not a there's not a way to sort of institutionalize or sort of, you know, operationalize a public outreach process? Yes. <laughs> I told you it'd be tough. <laughs> it, it, I think in 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 both regards, you can make a, a plan for a process that could be replicated, but at the end of the day, you have to take into the individual factors of that city or of that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So you can plan to... Um, go to every block party and every community day for the year leading up to the launch of something. And you might still miss people. Mm-hmm. And so you can say, okay, we're going to go door to door and knock on every part and then say, okay, well, we don't have the resources to do that. Or the person who knocked on the door didn't look like the person behind the door. Right. And so you didn't get the information you needed then either. So you have to really take into consideration where are the actual community centers of these areas and how to engage them in the best way and then say, okay, that's probably not the final answer either. Yeah. So I think what, I think what you're saying is that you can sort of create a, an agenda by which your public outreach methods and efforts are flexible enough to accommodate a variety of people in a variety of places, but but that that agenda that that agenda could be sort of you know used as a template in D.C. or using a template in Memphis. Yeah, exactly. I like that answer. And again, even if you check all those boxes. Yeah. It, it's a verb. It's yes. Not, yeah. The even, yeah. The idea of a plan, I think, starts to chip away about like truly. It's just so complicated. So many layers. Well, well, the, I mean, the it's truth, the truth, the truth of it is, yeah. It, there's so many relationships. Yeah. Is, re- is really what it is. There's so many people that you have to communicate with in different ways. In different ways. Yeah. yeah. And and it's an ongoing relationship. You don't show up to a community meeting and say, well, we're partners. We're partners here. Like, <laughs> yeah, because I came to what? your community meeting, we're officially partners. <laughs> it's like I showed up and I and I and I had a plan for you and and I want your input. Okay, well, that doesn't mean that you're engaging these people in the right way. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is this is going to sound, I think, harsh, but I do think that organizations all over cities, maybe all over the world, kind of think that showing up to community meetings or putting a flyer in a community center like counts that those that neighborhood should be thankful that the organization has made an effort to come to their community meeting and it is actually should be the exact opposite that organizations should be thankful that neighborhoods are willing to listen to them and willing to open them you know, sells up to things that are happening in their neighborhood and that it isn't some sort of like favor that an organization has done to a neighborhood because they showed up. Absolutely. I mean, while bike share and other amenities are wonderful things, it doesn't mean it's a godsend for a community that has bigger fish to fry. Yeah, absolutely. 
And are you going to be at the Better Bike Share conference later this summer? Yes, I do plan to be there. Oh, good. Uh, I'm not actually going to be able to make it, but Sarah is actually going to be there. So I am working in Memphis to launch a bike share program here in Memphis. And I would love offline having you back on the podcast in Philly to talk more because this has been really a very kind of educational conversation for me. And I have a ton more questions. But we are wrapping up. We want to respect your time so you can get more vitamin D rolling through your veins. But I just would like to talk about this sentence that you had in your pre-survey, which is, what is a hobby you wish you had, but you don't? Knitting. It looks so relaxing, but I'm too competitive for it. Can you please, (laughs) please expand on that, Anna? Well, uh, along the lines of, you know, picking up an instrument because I could start earlier than someone else. um, (laughs) I mean, it does look so relaxing, but because I'm like, I would be on the metro looking to see how, you know, how many more rows this other girl has ahead of me. (laughs) Oh, my God. What if you turn it into a competitive sport? Now, there's an idea. I'm going to leave you with that. (laughs) competitive knitting competitive knitting i think we may have just found the next olympic uh... i mean everyone starts with the same plan and and tools yes you know and you're like doing it side by side and like etsy could be your sponsor oh my goodness (laughs) the longest scarf wins yeah like how many rows and you could like uh, grade on like different technicalities around knitting you're yes, welcome, Anna. <laughs> I mean, and then you have the reflective yarn, so it could be, you know, we could weave it into biking. Oh, my gosh. My <laughs> mind is blown. This has been fantastic. Hey, Anna, I'm going to I'm gonna reach out to you the next time I'm in D.C. Um, because yeah. I, I was telling – this is this is unusual. Sarah, I said uh, – I told Sarah that you and I had never actually uh, met before, and she was a little flabbergasted that there was another bike person out there that I, that I hadn't met yet. <laughs> And yeah, Anna, let's definitely get together when we're both in Philly in the summer. Absolutely. Hey, it's been a real pleasure. Delightful to have you. Uh, Thank you for joining us. And I hope we can talk again real soon. Sounds fantastic. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. The Bike Nerds Podcast is a joint production of the Bike Nerds, Sarah, and Kyle, and the OAM Network based in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit theoamnetwork.com slash thebikenerds. Want to nerd out more? Find us on the web at thebikenerdspodcast.com, on Twitter at thebikenerds, and on Facebook, The Bike Nerds Podcast. Drop us a note or recommend another bike nerd to have on the show by sending us an email at thebikenerdspodcast at gmail.com.